We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And welcome to the long overdue Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. It's been a while, hasn't it? In fact, the last podcast was 2004, and we went unbeaten, and we danced in the street naked, and um, all, all had a great times. No, we haven't been able to record due to um, many reasons, really, but the main reason is that uh, not all of us could be around at the same time. It happened game after game. And it uh, got delayed and delayed, and uh, yeah. So apologies for the absence, but we are back. And um, t- in today's show, it's just in fact Elliot and Paul, as the rest of them couldn't make it. But uh, yeah, but we beat West Brom last night 2-0. It seems as if Alexis Sanchez has got his groove back. A bit like Stella, um, but better, faster. And uh, yeah, we won a game of football, which is always very nice. Haven't been doing that recently. Hasn't been so nice. So, um, without further ado, I'm sure you don't want to hear my ramblings. So, I'm going to hand you over to the guys. And uh, this time, back a lot sooner. In fact, we're back after the Sutherland game. Uh, so, enjoy the podcast. What's that you say? Threat to our top four status? That's just the rallying cry needed to bring out a swashbuckling 2-0 win against West Brom at home. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and much like the Arsenal faithful at the Emirates, we vanished for a while. Fans of the TV show The Leftovers might say we departed, but we have returned uh, in the wake of a victory. We are no longer scared to uh, publicly discuss and debate the club we love, and I am here with Tim. No, he departed. James. No, he departed. Special guest that we lined up. No, we didn't do that. But we have Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. 
Woo! Yeah, woohoo indeed. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Forgot that part because it's been like seven and a half months since we did one of these. All right, Paul, straight into it. Where do you think we'll finish in the league? What? Uh, fuck it. We have to play City away. I will tell you. We play at Sunderland, home to Norwich, at City, uh, home to Villa. Yeah, I heard City away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... We now have a four-point lead on United in fifth. We're, I think, a point ahead of City, five behind Spurs, I believe. I think it'll be 50-50 between third and fourth. We'll definitely finish in the top four. Okay. Uh, Yeah, 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 no no concerns there, he said. (laughs) Okay, so so you think between third and fourth. Um, I was being offered 25 to 1 odds by Naveen on Twitter for a bet that we made back in October on this exact pod, actually, for us finishing fifth. You think those odds are about right? Any concern that United overhaul the fourth place, uh, fourth place trophy? Uh, some, but I, I guess personally, I'm not going to bother looking over my shoulder. But I mean, at twenty-five to one, uh, somebody's you know that's worth a shot. That's worth. I'd not not that we wanted to, to come. See, by and large, yeah. I I don't like to make bets that I hope I lose. <laughs> um, yeah, could have fooled me. And just for the people that would say, you know, who want the manager out, who want change, and say maybe finishing outside the top four is the only thing that'll bring change. And I know we're we're going match second, larger issues first. So but we've quite been a lot of that yesterday. Yeah, yes. I mean, I personally think. I love this club. I love seeing this club in the Champions League. And while I may think it's time for the manager to go, I don't think that seeing the club itself suffer and being out of a competition I enjoy is, A, going to get that to happen, and B, worth it. Where do you fall on the maybe a a year out of the Champions League could be just the tonic for us? So I fall on the maybe a year out as if that's what you get. You can have a year out and then you get straight back in again. That's not you know, how it works for a lot of that's clubs. That's <laughs> not how it works. And it might. It, I think we're spoiled. I think that's how we feel it works. I'm not talking about Wenger. I'm talking about the Premier League. I, that's the way it's worked for the last umpteen years. It's not going to be how it works going forward. The TV money in the Premier League pushes people so hard um, – to chase for the top four, and now they got all this money uh, in the top, uh, for just being in the Premier League that the gap has narrowed. They all want to be in Europe. They all want to play in Champions League, but they all have shitloads of money. You know, Dimitri Payet is a great midfielder that came c- kind of from nowhere. Uh, Mares came from nowhere. He's brilliant. Right. Vardy, he's brilliant. I mean, you, you can't, certainly this year, uh, Kante... He's brilliant. You can't take it away from him. These clubs are going out there and buying top players. And for the year that they don't need to play in the Champions League or maybe the Europa League, they get 38 games to focus on getting into the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's going to be far to The beauty is the top four establishment hierarchy is going to struggle every year. So I don't. I don't think you can say – I don't think being in the top four keeps you there, and I don't think going out of the top four you get back within a year. Um, and I think we're going to see some of that. United – I mean, what, it's three years United are, are bouncing around in and around and under the top four. So there's no automatic 
go down, come back. I think that's such a fallacy. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I mean, they, uh, you know, they're proof of that. I think Liverpool are big proof of that. But I think the interesting thing is that next season is really when you want to consolidate your strength because Pep Guardiola obviously is going to make a big difference. I think United, even if LVG stays, which which I can't see, I think they will be stronger and better. I think there are little green shoots of recovery there. They'll continue to spend money. They may get Jose Mourinho, who no matter what you think of him, I think at a minimum in his in his first season, you know, will will make a positive impact. You know, talk to me three seasons from now, but I think he will. And then you have Liverpool, who seem to be improving under Klopp, and I think will improve further when he gets his signings in. Spurs. Pochettino's a force. Yeah, he's yeah not, I was going to say, I think Spurs. That's not a one-season wonder there. No, and while they may not have the resources to necessarily be in the top four wages-wise, they have a clear identity. I don't think their players have developed to the point yet where they'll be picked off, so I think guys like Deli Alley will stay, Alderweireld and, and all those guys. The only guy would be Harry Kane. And he's, you know, as they point out, one of their own. I mean, not that that means anything, but I think he stays a while. So yeah, yeah. when you look at City and United and Spurs and Liverpool and Chelsea, who you would think, I mean, they've been better under Hiddink, if not fantastic. There'll be a clear out. There'll be more buying. There'll be a, a permanent manager in place. They're probably going to be stronger. Then you throw us in the mix. That's six teams who will all be expecting top four finishes to start the season. And that's not even to throw in any surprise contenders like a Leicester or a West Ham or whoever it is. So I think the the money combined with the, the managerial talent in the league means next season is going to be the toughest, which is A, why this season may have really been a, an even bigger missed opportunity, and B, why I think you want to consolidate and stay in the CL this season because... You need to attract the talent. You need to be focused and committed and, and ready for a big-time fight next season. So I, I don't want to see us playing Thursday nights next season. It's hard enough doing it Tuesdays and Wednesdays uh, as it is, especially with our injury background uh, track yeah. record. So let's back up just for a minute before we get to the West Ham game. Since we didn't get to talk about them, which disappointed you more, losing the two-goal lead to West Ham Ugh. or losing the one-goal lead to Crystal Palace? Fuck. Uh, I I don't know why, but West Ham was far more gutting. I agree. Why do you think so? It was two goals. Um, we were cruising because um, we'd been on a run. That's exactly, because, yes. Yeah, keep going. Because this was the team I wanted us to play, and we played the same, game, same team against Crystal Palace, because it felt like uh, it didn't solve all our problems, and it wasn't the big light at the end of the big tunnel. But it was a small light in a medium tunnel. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. So I'm not saying it solved all our problems. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's, like... that's how we describe our daughter when she was born. Oh. A small light in a medium tunnel. Oh, yeah. I don't that's, know what that means. disgusting. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I've decided I don't know what that means. That's just going to be from now on known as redacted when we discuss the pod. <laughs> it's funny. When you and I ever talk about your family, mm-hmm. we both get really crude. Yeah. Well, we're a very crude family. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, so that was the most gutting thing. It felt like we were onto something. Too little, too late turned out to be even less and a lot later. So You know how it felt to good. me? 
I, right when we went up two nil, I thought this is it. This is confirmation of what we had hoped, which is that we found yeah. the solution. Right, yeah. we had had a, a, a good strong win against Watford, a good strong win against Everton, and granted, they're weak teams that were in poor form. But so we go Close. to West yeah. Ham, where nobody wins, where they're yeah. in good form, and they're a yeah. top four contender, and we're two goals up. And I'm thinking this confirms that those two wins weren't a false positive. This confirms yeah. momentum, confirms the solution, and ultimately maybe thrusts us back into a title challenge or at a minimum an overhauling Spurs challenge. And so to lose that suddenly, we not only, well, not to, not to lose the game, but to lose the, the lead and ultimately fall 3-2 behind, it felt like it it obliterated that confirmation. It, it sort of... Spot on. But, yeah. but in, a, in a way, it did confirm that, that we had found a formula, but it also confirmed we continue to have a glass chin. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, you know, there were three goals in there, but the first goal, it's that goal again where from a fairly innocuous counterattack in which we actually have enough players back and we're actually in a position where we should be able to uh, stop a goal, somehow they just have an extra yard of space that we shouldn't be allowed, allowing them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the same with the first Crystal Palace goal. They both come in from that left wing. I mean, it's not always the left wing, but, you know, it reminds me of the Monaco goal where we're cruising and then, you know, a fairly innocuous counterattack down the right wing and they swing the ball across the middle to, I think, as Kondogbia comes charging up and takes a shot and it's a deflection and it's, you know... It's like, well, like I, it's I would like say a- it's more akin to the to the last Monaco goal they scored at the Emirates in that we were chasing a goal we didn't need late in a yeah. half when we should have consolidated our position, right? It's yeah. I don't think that... The funny thing is, I actually said, and you know me, I tend towards maybe a little bit of the cynical, but... No! I, oh, yeah, no. Me? no! I'm not having that, Elliot. Okay, I'm but, not... I'm, Nope. Moving on. But I, I said I actually preferred the way we played. I enjoyed the West Ham game more than I enjoyed some of those games in January and February, like Swansea yep. and Manchester United. E- easily. Yeah, the, the, the passing, the the interplay, the urgency in the attacking half, the cutting edge was there. Now, admittedly, after they scored their two goals, there was a period where we seemed bereft because mm. largely I thought that... They were probably as gutted as we were, yeah. But but the the problem was really more just that at 2-0 up, where all you need to do is get in halftime, kick someone, put someone on the ground. You know, when they have it in a wide position, don't let the cross in. Go take them out if you have to. But Yeah. But we and, did and the, the goal against Crystal Palace, you know, yeah. just shove them into touch, Gabrielle, or just kind of fucking make sure that ball doesn't, you know, it's the and it, the West Ham goal were Payette knocks it back to whoever it is. Cresswell, I think it is, puts in that cross, and it's like it's too easy. So, I don't know. I don't know who should have done what. It was probably two or three different little mistakes. It's just it's too easy. They, the number of times we've seen the perfect cross go into the, you know, the perfect perfect attacking header against us. How does it look so easy for them? I don't know. Yeah, and then to me, I think the bottom fell out with Palace is what happened is the realization that the title was gone, the yeah. realization that we had really shitted away once and for all. If we hadn't against United and if we hadn't at Liverpool and if we hadn't at Southampton, if we hadn't against Swansea and if we hadn't uh, at Stoke, that we'd really finally truly gone and shitted it away. And, I think that's right. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't think it helps. I You know, I'm not sure players think this way, but... We sat on this very pod. Well, we didn't sit on the pod. We we spoke on the pod about the moral victory of a five-one aggregate defeat to Barcelona 
um, because there was some shoots of recovery and some some gutty performances and some signs of life. A Barcelona that, you know, if it had been anyone else, but they're invincible, they're unbeatable, and then Atletico go and just yeah. bounce them out pretty, yeah, pretty granted, easily, convincingly. Granted, granted but uh, I'm still fine with the... I'm still fine with our previous theory. I mean, it is Atletico. They're exceptionally good at that. And I get it, but they, and they're, they're a better the team than teams. we are. They're far better. Yeah, I mean, but, let's be honest. But they're not a bigger club than we are, no, I wouldn't not. say. So I, I guess all I was saying, Paul, is that the emotion yeah. of seeing that Barca team that destroyed you get beaten and losing yeah. your opportunity in the league when you were up 2-0 and, and sort of the mm-hmm. negativity surrounding the club at that point. And we came out with a performance against Palace that reminded me a lot of the game we played. Do you remember when we played Manchester United at home, I believe, following the 6-0 loss at Chelsea? We had, uh, we had lost 6-3 to City. We had lost 5-1 yeah. to Liverpool. We lost, And then I think it was a 0-0, and it was just a, a performance bereft of any energy, yeah. effusiveness. Yep. It was a sort of scared, defeated performance. Um don't you feel that that's what we saw against Palace? Just sort of a the season felt over kind of performance. I think there was a bit in that in there, and I, I but I think it kind of started when we, when we conceded a couple against West Ham. Um, you know, you could almost feel at that stage the funk was starting, um, and I so he I see where you're going with that. I think I think that's entirely plausible and logical, but it contradicts my my feeling at the moment, my feeling is you can take those three games that we've just played and there's fuck all between them. The re- in terms of our overall standard of play, our style of play, I mean, the Crystal Palace one was the one where there was maybe a little less confidence or whatever, but really mm-hmm. still so little to separate those games. I mean, let's take today's game, which feels kind of good. I mean, they hit the crossbar after, what, 25 minutes? Yeah. Uh, they had a wide open goal in the second half. Our second goal was a free kick, which very nice free kick and everything, but it was shoulder height through a gap, which I know all counts and it was a really good free kick. But hey, if it's that easy, why don't we score from free kicks every game? So it's yeah. kind of a kind of a freebie. So we were really, uh, I, I'm sure all sorts of people are, are bristling at the, what, the free kicks don't count. They count for, you know what I mean? But we no, had one. Oh, I know what you well, mean. And we had so many chances in this game, but only seven shots on target. I remember Adrian Clark bemoaning against Crystal Palace. I think we had five or six shots on target. It's not these aren't huge. When you consider the the difference in the opponents we're playing and the difference in game events, I think this fuck all difference between the three games apart from and you know people people get all riled up. I think when you say this stuff, but apart from a little bit of luck, and I don't mean we've been unlucky. I think we were lucky today uh, and a bit of funk, which kind of kicked in, which impacts things a little bit. I mean, uh, Arson's criticism of the, after the Crystal Palace game was we didn't move the ball quick enough. Um, he changed it a little bit the second time around. He talked about it, but that was his immediate reaction. We didn't move the ball quick enough. I think that's expl- that explains some of the changes today. Uh, but fundamentally, there wasn't that much in it. Um, we somehow got the game to be a bit more vertical, a little bit more kind of more open, more counter-attacking than uh, what we faced against Crystal Palace. But really, fundamentally, to me, 
Nobody will agree with me. To me, these games are three of a set that are fairly similar, despite some significant personnel changes in the game today. And but for an incident here or there, you're looking at and Andy, you know, fair fucks to Andy Carroll. Uh, he's a donkey and everything. But as his manager said, he is kind of world class when it comes to heading. You can't you can't live with him in the air. You have to deny no. you have to deny the the service to him or or body him early. If you give him a yep. run at the ball, you're dead. And as Arson said, we weren't expecting to face him, and we lined up so as not to face him. So it's narrow margins in these things. And personally, I see those, even with those personnel changes, I see these as three of a set of games in which there isn't that much to separate between them, apart from a little variance in the opponents and a little variance in the luck, the goals, and maybe a little bit of extra funk in the Crystal Palace game that never came to fruition and this could have been a bit of a funk game too had that first goal gone in for them in the 25th minute or whenever that was i mean what i would say is you know you think about it what really held us back this season is no one stepping up and getting the goal when Mm -hmm. we needed it and today it was two moments of brilliance by alexis and for all of our decent team play and there were some spectacular moves that didn't result in goals it was a one-man show when it came to the two goals, and we just haven't had enough of that this season. Um, you know, yeah, Giroud and Welbeck didn't look remotely like scoring in the last two games. No, and this is where I would criticize using XG, you know, the statistical XG analysis yeah, thing that's, that's been discussed more is that, I'll give you an example. I got into a little debate on Twitter with a very intelligent person, but but someone who likes to rely on the statistical analysis side of it, which I respect. They, they were a very intelligent person, but they were an idiot on this point. Now, well, what, what well, was the right. point? Here was the point. You know, I basically was lamenting the way we played against Palace, and they said that it was luck. You know, we were un- unlucky. And they were saying basically a shot that squeezes under, you know, their one shot that squeezes under Czech's hand. You know, you can't say we didn't deserve to win that game. And that's the only shot they had, and they scored it, and they didn't have another shot on target. But here's what I would say. You're right. They didn't have another shot on target. Their XG was 0.3. They arguably had the best chance to create a goal in the whole game when Zaha roasted. Um, mm. Who was it? Was it Gabriel? Um, uh, Kachelny. Yeah, Kachelny. He shakes him Chocolat, off. Then Kachelny, and right. then he Gabriel leaves him for dead, dead. And he has. Um, who is their center forward? Uh, oh, it was Adebayor. He's got Adebayor standing unmarked, center of the box. And, <laughs> yeah. and Zaha has a heavy touch, slips over, and Gabriel gets back yeah. and recovers it. Now, that has absolutely no XG value, none, because it didn't produce a shot. So it has no XG value. But it was the best chance to create a goal in the entire game. Zaha, totally free, clear, in our box, man at the center of the box. All he has to do is take a normal touch and... He slides it across and scores. I mean, presumably. My, my point is that you look at the way we played against West Brom. That second half when Campbell came on, for example, there were like seven good build-up moves that yep. didn't result in Sco- shots. Ozo should have scored. Well, I don't know about should But he had two or three him versus the keeper situations. Yeah, a lot of interchange, one-twos in the box, getting close. And so, you know, yeah. the fact is that... that Beautiful buildup that doesn't result in a shot doesn't measure into that statistic, but I, I would Amen, argue brother. that some of the best chances don't ever result in shots. Their last-minute tackles, their last-minute miscontrols, you know, one-on-one, th- those things don't necessarily get factored into it. I think that 
our attacking play seems to be best with Welbeck, Iwobi, uh, uh, Alexis, um, Elneny in the team. You know, whether it's going to be Coughlin or, or Ramsey with him, we'll see. Uh, so, so let me ask you, today we saw the Ramsey-Elneny midfield. Any thought that this is maybe an audition for next season? The manager knows that Ramsey wants to play in midfield. He hasn't worked with Coughlin. He hasn't worked with Flamini. I mean, some would say that's just because Flamini. Um, do you think this was an audition for what the manager might be thinking next season? And what did you make of the partnership? Uh, maybe, uh, too early to tell, uh, uh, which is, I guess that's kind of cheating too early to tell, but thanks for that uh, insightful report. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't tested today. Um, they didn't contest the midfield. We were under no pressure defensively from the standpoint of the midfield. The chances they had kind of tended to come down the wing and it was a cross in or it was a corner. Uh, so, there was no stress test for Elneny Ramsey. Um, so I don't think we've a second clue. Now, I think it was a smart selection because, you know, 2020 hindsight, haven't seen the game. Um, this was a, so, a, a sensible pairing. I mean, Ramsey was, it, it go back to uh, Wenger's criticism against Crystal Palace of our performance, not moving the ball quickly. Uh, Ramsey had more passes than anybody. He had more passes in the final third than anybody. Um, that doesn't having more passes in the final third does not necessarily make the most solid defensive platform in midfield. So this, you know, none of that would be too surprising for us. So in a different game, this would come under a lot of stress. So maybe the I suspect the manager doesn't yet know. He probably loved this to be a great pairing. But I think it might come apart at the seams with enough pressure. And, you know, Coquelin, Elneny has looked really good and really solid. And we've been pretty attacking. I don't, I think he made the Ramsey selection and paid off today. Uh, We did zip the ball better around the place. We were a bit more vertical and a lot less passing it around in a circle. But I don't know that that was really a function of that pairing as much as Crystal Palace versus West Brom. It just seemed like Crystal Palace was more solid at the back and maybe maybe the way we got our second goal against West Brom really opened things up for us in this game. So yeah. I don't... Th- that's my... Uh, I, I don't trust it. Um, I think Ramsey uh, playing on the wing makes more sense, but... He's not going to start it at the moment ahead of Iwobi and Sanchez. That would be a massive injustice. So this was the way to get Ramsey into the team. Coquelin got sacrificed. I may I throw in, I th- uh, it was kind of the sloppy time of the game, but Coquelin was pretty sharp and some good passing when he came we on. We played that so one spectacular pass to Ramsey right through the heart of the midfield, sort of by yeah. the, the line-breaking pass that Ramsey kind of miscontrolled and then got fouled. Yeah, and then he was 18 of 18 or something in terms of passes, which, again, doesn't mean that much at this stage in the game. But, mm-hmm. you know. Well, uh, you could, I mean, you could say, you know, Joel Campbell really impressed too, and he's a player who I think would have a right to feel a little bit aggrieved yeah. about his his place in the pecking order, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, one of the positions that obviously has gotten a lot of attention is center back because Gabriel yeah. has sort of taken Murtisacker's place and. Gosh, if you want to have a really shitty Arsenal career, 
earn the armband because <laughs> if, if you put that thing on, you're fucked, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, Mertesacker had the third most passes of the game. I think that he's the you know, best passing defender we have, right? Yeah. yeah, and he brings a certain amount of calm. Uh, I, you know, if you're going to push uh, Bellerin forward, uh, you need some good distribution to him. Now, Koscielny wasn't too far behind. He was 61 passes. Mertesacker was 72. Um, so bo- I guess either any centre-back would have got a lot of passes today. But Mertesacker was number three. He was ahead of Ozil in terms of completed passes. Um, so, you know, a significant factor. We've had trouble in the air. Uh, recently, and I, maybe against Carroll, if Wenger had known what was coming, Mertesacker might have started there. So, and it just, we needed to steady the ship back there mm-hmm. and take a little bit of the wild man. I don't want to bl- blame Gabrielle particularly, but we needed more cam in the back four, and Mertesacker brings some of that. So, yeah, no question. Made a lot of sense. Um, I guess my question for you then, though, is do you think this was pure rotation because we play Thursday, Sunday, or do you think Mertesacker will keep his place? And if you think uh, that this is a dropping of Gabrielle, what does that do to the belief that Gabrielle Koscielny is the way forward? So, or, or at least I, that the manager intends that to be the way forward. I think Mertesacker might be back in for a little while. And I don't think it's a massive indictment of Gabrielle per se. I will indict uh, him for you if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you would. Thank um, you. <laughs> but uh, he did bail out Koscielny against. Uh, yes, he did. Um, um, but I think it's more he wants to steady the ship. Uh, Mertesacker is due a chance to kind of redeem himself. I don't think he's particularly saying that uh, Gabrielle's the murderer. Just he happened to be in the room at the time, and that that's his option to change. Who else is he going to change? And he needed to steady things in the back, bring a little bit more calm. This was a game that required a bit more distribution and calm. And uh, a little verticality doesn't hurt us at the moment with all the... You know, he, he's, Wenger said something to the effect of, we're kind of, this is the kind of goal we've been inflicting upon ourselves... Uh, all season, these crosses coming in. So Giroud yeah. doesn't hurt that. Mertesacker helps that a lot. So uh, I don't know if it's as pointed. It just probably feels like the right way to steady the ship at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I'm, I have not been a Gabriel believer no. um, really no. from day one, and I'm not saying yes. that just because of power of hindsight. I've just had some reservations. I think you'd agree with that. Um, yeah. I'm still not super convinced um, I think he has some pace. Uh, I think he's well, technically good, good with the ball at his feet. I'm not convinced he's particularly disciplined. I know that that that's easy to say, but I don't mean disciplined just in terms of he's going to get red cards. I mean in terms of staying on his feet to make a tackle. Um, I think he makes weak challenges sometimes. Uh, and I don't think he's great in the air, which is is a problem for Arsenal in general. Now, I think it's less of a problem with Czech than Ospina. Um which is why I thought the fact that it was Gabriel and Ospina against um, West Ham was West Ham. disastrous. You may not remember, I think it was last season, Chesney had arguably his best game in his Arsenal career against West Ham where he caught or punched about 50 crosses and balls into the box. 
Um, was that that game? It was, yeah. I yeah. was trying to remember. Yeah. Yep. Um, and hat to it was the to, London Blitz. Yeah. To Tim Stillman, who I believe actually referenced that, and that is why I know that, not because I have any uh, effective recollection of Arsenal. Um, so I just think I think it, it is a question mark, and I worry that the manager's plan is for it to be a Gabriel Koscielny partnership going forward. Um, and I, I think Gabriel is still very rough around the edges. It doesn't mean he can't be refined into a, a a more consistent footballer, but as crazy as it sounds, I think a Koscielny-Chambers partnership could arguably be the more effective way to go, and I base that on yeah. very limited experience, and I've been critical of Chambers as a center back. Um, but I I have, I have just have doubts about Gabriel. Um you know, and I know it sounds weird, but there there was for a very long time that thing that no team had ever won the league without an English center back. Um, I think City eventually broke that broke that streak. Uh, okay, so let's move on. Let's just talk goals for a second. I mean, Alexis really did sparkle, and the first goal is brilliant. It's yeah. sort of his sparkling best. How much of of the improvement in his play do you attribute to sort of organic increase in form after a rough patch, and how much do you attribute to him being taken out of solitary confinement on the left wing uh I'm, my tendency is to think it's the latter that uh, OC. Gi- yeah given a chance to express himself he was always going to blow through his his funk a lot quicker uh, we've been for for all the you might say Welbeck just got dropped again i don't know that it's that pointed i think it was just time to freshen things up a little bit as opposed to anything too pointed but he can really thank the Welbeck option for just andrew Wobie for because campbell tends if we think of campbell playing on the right wing um you know he tended to stay there he did a good job i think we all appreciate uh, his stint there and what he's given, but Iwobi's all over the fucking place. I mean, he'll show up everywhere. Now he tends to be pretty comfortable on the left side, which is great. But he's he'll go where the game is. Uh, so fluid across that the middle of the park uh, as we transition. So uh, he just brings a much greater level of dynamism uh, alongside Welbeck. That you know. Sanchez can effectively go where he's feeling it in the game. And mm-hmm. I think that's helped him blow through. I mean, he's got something like, what, five goals and three assists in seven games or something now. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I didn't think he's been playing brilliantly for all of that time. I thought he's been very effective and a bit hit and miss in some of those games. But he's, he's, I mean, we saw it today. I mean, he was just on fire. So uh, I really think he was working through still some form issues over the last few games. And his ability, his opportunity to express himself with the players around him who can feed him and cover for him. Because he still, you know, knocks a, a lot of balls sideways and, and, uh, and spills the ball often enough, less so lately. Yeah. So I think it's worked for him. And I think that's the biggest factor of it. I don't think he took a pill and suddenly his form was fine. I've never felt that we used him most effectively. I, I don't think he's yeah. as effective as he could be isolated on the wing, on either wing, to be fair. And I think the challenge you have is that you have Ozil, who you give a fairly free role to, and then it's hard to just say to Alexis, all right, you go where you want to. But yeah. one thing about Alexis is he's right there, right behind Ozil, I believe, for most key passes in the squad this yeah. season. He's tremendously effective at setting up his teammates. Um, 
and you know, you look at at the kind of goals he can score. I mean, think of the goal he scored against. Well, I guess it was Palace, right? The header from the well yeah. back pass. I mean, that is that center forward play really, and he has that in him. I know the managers opted not to use him that way, but I would love to see him and Ozil play in some sort of freer center forward false nine kind of role one behind the other they link up really well their movement complements each other they see the field brilliantly they have that same next level superstar quality vision and 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 understanding on the pitch um and i think the problem you have with alexis is when he's on the wing the defender can use the sideline as as an extra defender right yeah so they know he's gonna he almost always shows to be on his left foot Yeah, yeah 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 Um, and he, he almost always shows inside. He yeah. wants to dribble inside. So I think it makes the job much easier for defenders. If you look at where he received the ball for his first goal today, he's in the center of the pitch. Yeah. The defender doesn't know what to do. He makes a great turn. He frees himself, and now he can shoot. Um, and he didn't have to, to drop particularly deep to do it. So, you know, uh, it's, and, uh, go uh, ahead. If I can add to your point, mm-hmm. yeah, he, his goal, um, uh, his header uh, against West Ham, was it the West Ham goal? Is that where he scored his header? Yeah. Uh, no. It, the the like Crystal Palace. The Palace. That was Crystal Palace. That, yeah, with Welbeck's, Welbeck's chip pass to you. Yeah. So he's attacking from the right, but you're right. By the time he's he's there, he's in the middle, and Welbeck has vacated that uh, the centre forward spot. He's he's dropped deep. He's the guy who puts in the assist. Um, and that's you know when you see that uh, I've kind of tweeted those heat maps a few times. Welbeck's action is all out of the center forward spot. It's it's dropping out to the left uh, and teaming up with Iwobi. And so uh, to your point, um, that creates all the opportunity Alexis needs to circulate into the middle whenever he wants to. The space is always there. The center backs have been pulled somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but what also allows him to do that is having El Nenny and Iwobi on the pitch because they, they'll travel anywhere, fill any gap. Um, and, and they provide great counterbalance. So to your point on uh, Ozil being kind of a free player um, with the free role and Alexis, you know, is kind of some hybrid of that. Um, it, it's, it's coverable by the work rates of Elneny and the ground that Elneny and Iwobi cover that they'll fill in the gaps. And so you can have those two players doing their thing all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think, you know, the challenge of a manager is to identify your best resources and then maximize what you get from your best resources. You know, I mean, Arsene Wenger is inherently more of a socialist, right? And I think that he he wants a wage stru- – or used to. I'm not saying it's still the case, but he preferred a wage structure where players didn't feel less and didn't feel more and everybody was sort of clustered around a similar wage so that there was no hierarchy. And I think on the pitch, to some extent, he he wants to put all of his players in a position to succeed and excel, which is great. But I think really in the modern game, you have a few players on in your squad that are exceptional and you have to – put those players in position to get the most out of them because the most they can provide is so much more than any other player in your squad can generate. So, you know, I think... Can can I give a thought? Yeah, yeah, don't. I'm cool with all that. I think some people may be a little prickly on the, yeah, he's a bloody socialist and that's a problem. No, no, I didn't mean Uh, it like that. I didn't know. Um, But, uh, yeah, I also think... 
his whole thing, if you ever hear him talking about, like, why does he love, uh, what sports does he love? He loves team sports because he wants to understand the team ethic. He's not, he, you know, he's not quite as into the, he was asked during the golf thing whether he likes golf, and he's like, I'm more of a team sport. He's all about the team ethic. Um, I think that's that's what appeals to him on the wage structure thing. But he also accepts that there are certain players, and he's talked at length about this, you know, the best players are a pain in the ass. He said that a few times. So I do think he's he he looks to apply both. Um, and it's, he, there's a hybrid in there. He sees both sides to it. Um, and when he has gotten things right, it's by applying, getting the, the, the team ethic right and also accommodating some stars. Yeah, okay. And I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, my thought process is that like, especially with as much as the wages are for your star player, Paul, and as much as the transfer fees are, a club like Arsenal that, you know, that can't spend like United or City. I mean, we have a ton of money, but we're not United or City. We're only going to have so many quote unquote star players, right? Just from an affordability standpoint. Then you're going to have complimentary players like El Neni, who is exceptional, but you're not going to set up your team to get the most out of El Neni. You're going to set up your team to get the most out of Ozil Alexis. Yep. In theory. That's why I was so perturbed when Ozil first arrived. If you remember when he first arrived, he was shunted out left to make room for both Ramsey and Jack in the squad. Um, and it didn't yeah. work. And it didn't get the most out of Alexis. And he suffered through, a, I mean, a, a Ozil. And he suffered through a first season where people questioned him. He got the number 10 last season. Um, well, and he sparked it. And he's yeah. continued to sparkle this season. I, look, I'm not saying that the but manager... He, but even in the... Se- uh, I know what you're saying. Um but he had reasons for wanting to accommodate, seeing if he I, I could accommodate those players. Paul, but, but like, and it again, wasn't for a full season either. It no, was for no. part of a season. He tried it for a bit, and it was meh. And then he reverted to yeah. Ozil at the 10. Well, not totally. I mean, he went with the four one four one. It was meh. And then he went back to the four two three one or the four three three. And Ozil kind of did a little on the left and a little stint. Because remember, there was the interview where he said, I do what the manager tells me, but I really prefer... You know, not yeah. to be out on the left. I mean, again, I'm not saying, A, the manager's an idiot, nor am I saying that he doesn't want to get the most out of Ozil. I'm saying that he wants to get the most out of his team together as a unit, which is very smart. But sometimes I think in modern football, that starts by putting your absolute best players in position to dominate, right? I mean, yeah, you know, that that's just... That, that's just how it is. You look at Barcelona, and maybe they're a bad example because they're, quote, struggling after their 8-0 at the weekend or whatever. <laughs> Poor but bastards. They got Poor three players, for them. and you put those three players where they can best excel, and the rest will kind of – you know, I mean, they don't just have three players. They have Iniesta and Busquets and Piquet. And, but, you know, you're not going to try to maximize Busquets at the expense of Suarez or Neymar Messi. Anyway, let, let's move off it. I, I, I mean, I'm not sure it's a crucial point, but I think we can do better with our deployment of Alexis, and and I think we've started yeah. to. We certainly yep. have, and I think it's made a difference. Um, so, as far as the striker position goes, I mean, it's it the form for Giroud continues to be poor, and the goal scoring. I thought today he did a really nice job with some flicked on headers and hold up, and you know he he played that focal point well, but. I, I think thought he played well today. Yeah. No, no, no. I thought I, I thought his, I thought it was all around. Not so much in front of in front of goal though, and and yeah. I think it's two goals in nineteen games now or something like that, yeah. and none in and, yeah yeah none in a long time. So for you right now is 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 Danny Welbeck clearly 
the the first choice for that position and how essential is it that that, that position gets addressed in the summer? Uh, still being proven. I mean, yeah, for me, he's definitely ahead. But his form the last couple of games seems like he's kind of, you know, maybe he's a bit tired having just, I know he's only just come back, but but maybe this is a lot for his system or, you know, it, it, not that the Welbeck thing hasn't been working for us. Like I say, I think these three games are three of a piece. I I think it's worked pretty well, but I think he was, he was a little off the pace against Crystal Palace, although he set up the goal. Um, so I think we've to still see a lot more of him in that spot, but he's definitely, for me, my preference just because of the movement, the pace, uh, the flexibility, and the fact that Giroud isn't scoring anyway. But I thought Olivier did well, and, and again, a third player that was brought in to help our fluidity and our passing today and, and act as a hub and uh, give us a base in the final third. And I think it worked pretty well today. Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think the challenge is that, you know, it, it seems so obvious to say it, but we we champion all these chances we create. And there's been a lot of misleading statistics about the chances Ozo's created and things like that. Um, but ultimately, we we don't really have that that center forward that you trust to score goals. And even though nope. I think Welbeck's movement and energy is has been fantastic, we're we're going to need to get more goals from that position. So yeah. so let's do this. Let's wrap up on this game with with this question about the the fans and the crowd and where things are going. Mm-hmm. It was a fairly empty Emirates. I think it's partly because of who the opposition was. I think it's partly because it's a Thursday night. I think it's partly because of where the team is and the feeling that there's not much to play for. And the team actually played okay. Well, I mean, is there an argument to be made that the lack of the obvious tension in the crowd and the lack of the pressure to some extent that the home crowd creates made it easier tonight that actually having fewer people there to kind of get on their backs and and create that tension actually made it easier has the emirates become yeah. too tense and the team the team yeah. struggles i mean i'm the last person to blame the fans obviously i'm just saying has the emirates become a a psychologically challenging a place for Arsenal? pit of negativity no oh, okay. no it hasn't no. um, <laughs> you're wrong and you're blaming the fans again um nobody can talk on this topic without getting absolutely reamed um i think so my thoughts on it, and I've been kind of, I haven't been terribly on Twitter lately. Uh, I've been on it a bit. But my my reading of it was it looked like it was going to be a low attendance for natural causes. And it kind of snowballed a little bit where people who were really pissed off took this as an opportunity to kind of vote with their feet a little bit without having to hold up a banner, which maybe they're absolutely not comfortable with, but they are comfortable with kind of doubling down on a low attendance, a probable low attendance anyway, to mm-hmm. kind of vote with their feet. And as a result, maybe some of the most pissed off people didn't go along tonight. Yeah, there, there, was, there was a very, very vocal, I mean, I know we saw the banners at full time, but a vocal Arsenal, Arsenal FC, by far the greatest team the world has ever seen, chant, cheer. It, for I, for I, minutes after the whistle, people stood and lustily sang. Yeah. And I think really what uh, – you can interpret it in all sorts of ways. I think the easiest way to interpret it is just a sense of relief that for one evening we won 
there wasn't lots of negativity and let's enjoy Arsenal and playing football. And this isn't a political statement and my view for, you know, the manager and the team for the future, blah, blah, blah. But isn't it nice to put that shit behind us for one evening and just kind of relax and enjoy it? And the lack of people there, as you said, meant to a lack of intensity from the crowd. And I think Arson and the players will take that every time for the next few games at home over the alternative. So, yeah, you know what? I think that's a very good point. And I'll say it like this. I mean, between the questions over starting Ospina and the Giroud Ramsey substitution in the palace game and the collapse against West Ham and the way our title challenges faded and losing to Watford in the FA cup and just all the, the pressure on the manager, um, you know, the reality is it hasn't been a very fun few months, January, no. February, March. They've been bad months, constant negativity, constant disappointment, um, a lot of attention on sacking off the manager. And I think, let's face it, no matter what you think of Arsene Wenger, like, he's, an, he's a brilliant, great guy. He's a legend of the club. Like, berating him every day and berating each other every day and booing all the time and being pissed off and miserable, I think you reach a point where you go, you know what? I don't even care what it means in the context of the season. It just feels nice to win. It feels nice to cheer. It feels nice to be happy. Like, happiness is a choice at some point. So if you're pissed off after that result tonight, like, you're not choosing to be happy. And, like, I tweeted after the game, winning is good, period. Enjoyed it. And I did. You know, at the end of the day, that's, that's what's aggravating. Like, I like winning. I like watching Arsenal win. I enjoy watching Arsenal score goals. I enjoyed tonight in the context of the season Fine, yeah. fuck it. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. So I know you got to run, um, but I'm still going to make you ask answer this really quickly. Given where we where we are and everything that's happened and and how it looks like things are going, what's your position on the manager and what do you think the right thing is? Finish out the contract, or if you were Stan Kroenke, but you don't have that mustache for it, but if you did, would you, would you be trying to move on this summer? Uh, I don't think Stan Kroenke w- will. No, he would. Won't, I, but what would would you I? Do? Um, so if I was a tough, hard-nosed uh, owner of Arsenal, I'd want to see how things ended up in the summer, which I know is a cop-out. It's also my personal view. Obviously, uh, I love the manager. I want it to end happily. I want him to go out a winner. I want him to find a way. But I still, on a personal level, want to see where things end up uh, I think the manager needs to do something beyond say beyond defending his choices. I mm-hmm. think he needs a bit of a mea culpa. I'd love to sit – don't want to glorify myself here. But I'd love to sit down with him and say, Arson, you, you know, here's some things you're not quite picking up the vibe of and you need to address in yeah. terms of – He needs some PR help. <laughs> he need, needs a bit of – it needs to be real. Right. It needs to be – Real PR, but he needs he needs to make some changes and to show that he gets it and to show that he's not okay with it and to show that he seriously thinks he made a mistake this year, last summer. Uh, and then I think he needs to come out – he needs to say he's going to come out with all guns blazing. He needs to spend some fucking money just for the sake of it mm-hmm. and to get some more talent. Um, I don't think we need to drastically – we either change how we play or we just throw more talent at it. You know, yeah. Barcelona does pretty good <laughs> with a fairly similar approach. They just happen to have better players. They also have a glass jaw at the back. And I don't think it's about having a glass jaw. I think it's not really controlling. 
don't have 75% of the play. Have 75% of the play because you're dragging them from one side to another and tying them in a knot. We need to do what we're doing faster, better. Uh, and when we lose key players, we have other key players to step in instead of also rounds. Yeah. He's got to fucking, if he's going to take the same approach, fucking double down. Yeah. Get, get better players to compete with the players we have. If you don't want to change how you're playing Arson, uh, you know, uh, 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 is it Jane Cavendish, who mm-hmm. I deeply respect, says something like, you know, who wants to see us play, even wants to see this style of football anymore. Well, I do. I just want to see it played at a, at a higher level. You know, winning, suddenly this style of football is a whole heck of a lot more fun. Losing, it's horrible. Winning consistently mm-hmm. and with less of a glass jaw and less Monaco's, and with, you know, not losing a third of the season because you've lost some key players and now we can't play the way Arson wants us to play. It's his fault. Where were the players that would allow him to play Arson's way for 38 games instead of 18? Or where, or where was fault. the reaction in mid-January when it was clear that yeah. the, the Flamini, Flamini yeah. Ramsey wasn't working or Ramsey yeah. Cochran? Any, I, I, yeah. I agree with you. Um, right. Got to run. Okay. I will, I will talk to you soon. I would say very quickly just that my point is I, I think the biggest reason I would make a change this summer is just the worry that we're so at a tipping point now that every bad result at the beginning of next season will send us right back into the worst dark place. I don't I know that. that there's enough goodwill. So, all right, Paul, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Um, uh, we will talk to you later. And uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Paul is on Twitter at Posn in My Pants. Cheers, Paws. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Thank everybody. Um, please give us a five star rating on iTunes, and then write nasty stuff like, "Where the f- were you after West Ham and Crystal Palace? You, you bandwagon winner picking dickheads." Anyway, uh, we love you and we missed you, and we will talk to you after Sunderland away up the Arsenal. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. What's going on, everybody? This is Mac Wilds, one-third of the almighty guys next door. And if you're listening to this, we want you to be a neighbor. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking, like, what do these guys talk about? What is it? Well, listen, we talk about everything under the sun. We talk about everything that it means to be a young millennial man in today's society, whether it's finance the type of condoms that you use, or how to deal with love issues, or lack of emotion. We talk about everything, and we go there, guys. We go there. We really, really have a lot of fun. So uh, if you guys would love to, we would love you to come on over, come mosey on down, you know, right past Sesame Street. We want you guys to come, come kick it with us. Come get some sugar. We are the guys next door. Peace. A-Cash recommends. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, 
Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.